0: This is The Shift Podcast. Today on The Shift Daily Podcast, NASA has finally shown us the greatest and most detailed photos of space ever, thanks to the super awesome James Webb Telescope. Andrew C. Ferreira walks us through every picture they've provided and why they're so special. Let me tell you, wallpaper for your computer, amazing. Are you okay with fries? And on the International Dispatch, Sir Christopher Gilbert joins us from Tokyo and helps us understand the global impact of former Japanese PM Shinzo Abe's assassination, plus diving into the bizarre stories from other corners of the world. It is time for a little weird science with Andrew.
1: Andrew Ferreira is weird. So weird, he loves science more than sleep and other people. It's time for Andrew Ferreira's Weird
0: Science. Last night here on The Shift, Andrew C. Ferreira gave us the insight of the first image that was revealed from NASA's James Webb Telescope with the anticipation that on Tuesday morning there was going to be more pictures released. Now, Andrew, I have purposefully stayed away from these pictures until now because I didn't want to, I wanted to re- experience them with you for the first time. Uh, did you even sleep? I know you were pretty excited to get up this morning for the first time in your whole life to be up early.
2: I know. I, I don't think I've ever been more excited to be awake before 2 p.m. in my life. <laughs> um, and that says a lot about my, my overall work ethic. But that's not what's uh, under the microscope here. Um, no. like it, I, I was up right and early, 7.30 a.m. Pacific. Uh, Wide eyed, bleary eyed, um, to see, you know, essentially what and I'm, I'll preface it with this in saying that these images will constitute kind of in, a, in much the same way that folks born, you know, from the, you know, from the maybe the, the 80s towards the early 2000s saw Hubble's images as like the images of space. Um, the exquisite detail, the 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 deep, the Hubble deep field, uh, as many people, you know, born in the last, you know, 30 years will, will have referenced uh, Hubble as kind of like the space observatory. Starting now, you know, kids who are, you know, five, six years old and kids who haven't become kids yet, uh, as they grow up, they'll regard uh, Webb in the same way that, you know, I and many people my age and other folks have also regarded uh, Hubble as kind of their view um, of the universe. Um, so cool, it's fascinating. If you want to follow along uh, with me, and you're you know not currently driving a vehicle, uh, you know safety first. Uh, go on over to nasagovernor uh, slash web first images, and it's web mm-hmm. with two Bs. Um and that's kind of where I'm going to be um, going off of and riffing off of. Uh, for today's or tonight's or right now's uh, <laughs> little talk. And I was taking notes this morning live because I have nothing better to do with my, uh, with my time before I have other things to do with my life. Um, and so we'll go from the top with uh, kind of the first image that we kind of saw a peak of uh, yesterday. Uh, we saw a peak of what was at the time the largest and deepest image uh, of the universe that we've ever taken.
0: I put this up at shiftheads.ca, by the way, for everyone to follow along to uh, the link that Andrew's talking about.
2: I also tweeted it out if you want to follow me at uh, Andrew, but worse. Uh, I take any and all uh, followers. <laughs> I love it. Uh, please boost my follower account, it just it gives me good ego juice. Um, so, basically, the first image that I want to talk about here um, is an image of a nondescript uh, red orb. If you go over to the on to the right side called SMACS0723 we're going to go right to left instead of left to right uh, cuz I'll do it in the order that they were unveiled and not the order that it's on the website. We'll do it backwards because I said so. So if you look at SMACS uh, 0723, SMACS0723 0723, um, is the name given uh, to the galaxy cluster that we talked about yesterday that was unveiled by uh, President Biden uh, yesterday. Uh, and if you look really closely you'll see a lot of dark red kind of dots and smudges and everything in the background. And these are all, to some degree, uh, to some extent, uh, galaxies. And one galaxy that exists in this field uh, that we found, which is now the oldest object uh, that we have found, by far, with any real detail, uh, is a galaxy that is 13.1 billion uh, years old. Uh, this is the oldest thing that we have detailed spectra of, uh, and spectra is basically uh, is a spectrum. So when we look at light, we can see how that light looks through a prism, and we can understand a little bit about how uh, what elements are present in that light because each element has its own fingerprint, essentially. When you look at light through a prism, you can see with enough technology and, and big brain smarts, uh, you can see various dips and various uh Portions where that is blacked out, um, and where it's blacked out tells you kind of like a barcode uh, what element is making this light, and so we have spectra uh, of a galaxy just you know one of the first generations of galaxies uh, from you know when the universe was barely uh, you know six hundred million years old, um, and that's just absolutely um, insane to me. Um, and this uh, this image of this galaxy, if you remember the Hubble Deep Field. Uh, again, that was the Hubble space telescope, uh, looking, uh, at one patch of sky for about two years. Really? Um, and in essentially, as they said on the stream before breakfast, uh, James Webb took a look at SMACS 0723, and we're already seeing detailed spectra of things, you know, 600 billion, uh, 600 million, uh, years, uh, after the birth of the universe. That's crazy. Um, so crazy. So the fact that with, you know, quite literally just a shrug, um, we can basically say that, um, uh, you know, we can see bits and pieces of the universe that, you know, up until this point uh, have taken years and years and years and years and years, and years uh, for data and science to really collect and we're seeing it and as they said during the thing before breakfast
0: yeah and it, like, but that's it's kind of crazy that, it's, it's it's a look back in time right like this is so cool no it's and literally
2: it's... like telescopes are time machines it's one of my favorite kind of cliche lines to throw out but when you look up at the sky you're seeing the sky as it was before yeah. um and that's something that people you know don't really kind of when you say it it it, it, it kind of takes people's breath away
0: All right. Can we, um, uh, did you want to talk about the WASP picture and what that means or move on to the nebula?
2: Yep. No, we'll go on to WASP, even though it's, I I knew that there was going to be some information that was going to be kind of boring to look at. And to the, you know, to the, to just a random person, if you go to the WASP 96B tab here, um, you just see a bunch of squiggly lines and ask, astronomers love squiggly lines. Uh, Squiggly lines are something that astronomers uh, deeply feel attuned to. Uh, And basically what this squiggly line shows us, and this is another example of spectra, this is another spectrum. Uh, James Webb, again, in in the course of essentially six or seven hours um, real time, looked over at WASP-96b, which is uh, a a, a gigantic, a hot Jupiter-type planet. It's big, it's hot, and it's gaseous, and it orbits extremely close to its sun. Uh, If you think Mercury orbits uh, very close, it orbits the sun, um, you know, every 88-ish days. Uh, WASP-96b orbits its sun uh, every 3.5 days. So, you know, we're talking entire orders of magnitude faster orbits. So is there life on this planet? No. Let's get that out of the way. Um, What there is, though, and what we've seen, and what we can now do to other exoplanets, is look at what is in their atmospheres. We now have the, the capability of gazing into the atmospheres of planets beyond our solar system and seeing if they could be habitable. Uh, and we've seen that WASP-96b has the definite signature of water in its atmosphere. Mm. Uh, it's not a guess anymore. It's not um, we believe there might be. We know that there is water in the atmosphere of this planet. And that's just something that was done over six hours of work for Webb.
1: <laughs> That's wild. you
2: know like like literally like web is uh, just absolutely blowing everything out of the water that has come before it in terms of its 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 acuity its sensitivity to instrumentation um and uh actually wasp 96b um a lot of what a lot of the exoplanet um science is actually being done by the canadian space agency um and so if, if you were up uh, earlier today and you were watching the stream you'll notice that the Canadian Space Agency actually had technical issues um and so the CSA kind of missed its time in the spotlight today uh oh, to explain no. their discovery um which is a shame um but you know the Canadian Space Agency plays a key part um isn't it ironic this that mission. Canadian
0: Space Agency could look so far into space but can't get a Zoom call to work
2: I I um. One of my favorite things that I've seen all over is like, you know, you'll see like, why can we see like, you know, this galaxy from 13 billion years in the past and far away? But why does all security camera footage look like grainy garbage? Yeah,
0: exactly. Okay, um, next here with Andrew C. Ferreira, we've got the Southern Ring Nebula photo. It's one of the uh, colorful amoeba looking ones that came from from space. This one's cool. Andrew, is it legit colors? Or is this like interpretation of colors?
2: Uh, These are interpretation of colors. Uh, And this was actually prefaced on the stream by the title of Stellar Death. And that's what you're seeing here. Uh, You are seeing a star die. Um, Sad, I know. Uh, But this is called, like I said, the Southern Ring Nebula. And what we're seeing here, and if you look up Southern Ring Nebula, Hubble versus Webb, you'll be able to spot tons and tons. I retweeted uh, a few hours ago um, a guy who made essentially a quick web app. Uh, that was just comparing Hubble and Webb images side by side, and you can see just how much cleaner the Webb imagery is in a much shorter amount of time. But the real kind of glory that we see in this is the exquisite detail we see in the in the clouds of gas and dust surrounding the star. Uh, and on the image on the right, which is taken in the uh, the middle infrared uh, wavelength, we actually see that this star is a double star. And this is something that scientists knew. We already knew that this was a double star system, but not only can we see clearly that there are two stars in the center of this um, planetary nebula, we can actually identify which star is the one that is dying. And it's the red one. Uh, It's the one on the left of that pair. Mm -hmm. So in this quick brief look at the Southern ring nebula, we can identify that there are two stars. We can see the exquisite detail in the gas and dust. Um, You see, like these shells of gas that is ejected, we see, um, you know, all that orange you see in that in in both images is molecular hydrogen. Um, And that kind of orange and that blue that you see on the right image in the middle infrared, those are hydrocarbons. You know, you might remember, you might think of hydrocarbons, you think of oil and gas, Um, it's the same stuff. It's not actually oil (laughs) and gas. But yeah. It's the same kind of chemical structure, so we're yeah. seeing I'm sure, and I'm we're sure identifying. Someone will
0: blame Alberta for the death of that star. Oh, don't
2: worry. Great, good job, Alberta. Way to kill a star. <laughs> um, but and if you and there's one more thing that I want to point out here, and there's a there's like a streak. You see it a lot better in the right hand image, the middle infrared image. There's like a very flat, almost line on the kind of left side, about two thirds of the way up the image, a horizontal line. And what mm. that actually is is a is a galaxy. It's an edge on galaxy. If you're able to zoom in on the image uh, and zoom in, you'll be able to see that that streak on the left side of the image is a full galaxy that we're just happening to see. That's just This is just how good web is. It's just happening Oops. to capture exquisite detail edge on galaxies. Uh-oh. Oopsie. That's amazing. Uh, wow, that's moving cool. Over,
0: uh, yeah, let's, yeah, let's keep going here because I don't want to run out of time. I want to get to all of them, Andrew.
2: Yep, Stefan's Quintet. This is a a group of five galaxies. The one on the very left is in the foreground, and the four in the background on the right side are all in the midst of colliding. Um, So this is showing that Webb can see straight through uh, the dust, and we're able to see the creation of new stars in this galactic collision. All of the brightness, the red streaks, those are areas of, 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 of star formation. Uh, These galaxies are 300 million light years away. Uh, And as you're seeing in the background, anything that doesn't have like this, like the snowflake looking light artifacts, anything that's just a point, that's a galaxy. (laughs) And this is just a quick look. This is what I'm just kind of going, "Eh, oh, that.
0: Well, and I think I got my terminology wrong last night, of course, because I said universe here and galaxy there and all that stuff. And it becomes very clear when you look at these pictures, which are at shiftheads.ca, by the way, um, that you can see the difference between everything, you know, the universe being all of the uni part of it. And then, um, and then, then all these little bits and pieces in here. Like, this is staggering stuff. This is mind blowing. I just watched the, uh, the Umbrella Academy third season. And when you watch The World End, spoiler alert, that's what happens at that oh, show geez. every season. Um, <laughs> It Like, it looks an awful lot like this. Yep. What happens at the end of every season, Ryan? Don't look at me like that. <laughs> they, they save the world. They save the universe every time. That's what they do. <laughs>
2: uh, but, yeah, for the first time, we're seeing, and, like, this detail is remarkable. We've never seen detail like this in imagery. Uh, this is, like, it's hard for me to explain. It's kind of like going from, you know, grainy film photography to DSLRs and telephoto lenses. Mm-hmm. Um hmm Receipts, it really is was like it Polaroid. Detailed.
0: It's like from Polaroid all the way up to like the iPhone 13 Pro. That's the comparison of the quality of the ether.
2: Yeah, that, it's a good way to think about it. And final one is the arguably, and I think it's like the, the most visually appealing image that we've got so far. It's of the Carina Nebula. Um, Carina, Carina, however you want to pronounce it. And that's not important here. Uh, but they call it mountains and valleys. Um, this is 7,600 light years away. Um, and in this image, we're seeing hundreds of stars that we have never seen before. Uh, the Hubble Space Telescope has also imaged the Carina Nebula or the Carina Nebula before, uh, but not nearly to this detail. And again, if you want to look up, you know, James Webb Hubble uh, comparison images, you'll see just how much clearer and crisper James Webb's imagery is. Uh, we're seeing all sorts of bubbles and cavities and jets uh, within the structure of the mountains, the orangey bed. And those orangey bits from top to bottom in this image are seven light years tall, if you want to think of it like that. So these mm. are, you know, if we were to put the sun at the bottom of one of these, uh, the nearest solar system, which is Proxima Centauri, would barely be past the halfway point up that little mountain. Wow. So we're seeing a gigantic slice
0: so with of, all these stars, formula. Andrew, like it is possible. I, it's not likely, but it is possible that every single star has its own solar system uh, of some fashion, and there could be planets on every single one of them. And there's like, in this photo alone, I thou th- tens of thousands, right? Like, yep. That's and to think that we're the only ones.
2: I I think that you could, with almost with almost certain confidence, say that almost every star in this image has at least one planet around it. Wow. Um, oh. We don't know what kinds of planets there are. We don't know right. how many or how far, but it's safe to say that almost every star has at least a planet around it. Um, and mm-hmm. so that really makes you think about, you know, whether or not we're alone out there. The odds are extremely staggering to think that we are. So it's just some food for Which thought. Which one of those the, uh... do you
0: think Elon Musk is from?
1: Uh,
2: probably the the most garish one. <laughs> the most garish and, like, annoying one to look at. That's what I guess.
0: <laughs> I got a great text here for you, Andrew. It says, yay, a planet that could support life. Unfortunately, it would take a billion years to get there and probably doesn't exist anymore anyway, LOL. Sad yep. but true.
2: Yeah, it, that's one of the things. You know, People always say that we've got all these Plan B planets out there. Uh, let's take care of this one first before we start making plans for planets that may not even exist by the time we get there.
0: Well, kind of like getting to the airport late and missing your airplane and a flight was canceled. That's kind of what you're looking at. Um, Bingo! With all of these, this is fascinating. Andrew C. Ferreira, NASA's Web First images. The link is at shiftheads.ca. Go through it all. This is radio doing our best to explain it to you, but it is so fascinating. It's worth the try because the colors, the 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 the, the pictures, the clouds, the it's it's everything that you've ever seen in in Hollywood represented right here out of space, just from photographs from this you know little rig flying this is cool
2: wow if you find and just before we go i think the most telling thing we can do is look at the comparisons if you can find comparisons between hubble and web uh mm. your brain will implode
0: it will implode uh, thank you so much for this andrew really appreciate it bud
2: i'm going to continue vibrating into the
0: night this is the shift podcast it's time for are you okay with Are you? Are you? you, Okay. 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 Are you okay with 877-399-9898, You can uh, let us know if you maybe agree or disagree with any or all of these stories as they come up. We'd love to hear your thoughts. Are you okay with
1: fries? (sighs) Oh. Yes, that'd be place. really great right now. It does It does depend on the place. There is a difference yep. between good fries and bad fries. And bad fries are just some of the worst snacks. But good and, dare I say, even mediocre fries are just like the best. They're so, so great. They make me so happy.
0: Skinny fries get cold so quick, but they're really good.
1: You eat them fast so it balances. Those up.
0: big those big chunky tater ones can be soft and squishy if you're not careful. If you're making them at home though, the crinkle cut in the air fryer is the best because all the crinkles the get best. super crunchy like they were deep yep. fried. You know, I think that straight cut fries in the air fryer and at home, man, not as good. There's no little nooks and crannies to keep all the seasoning salt and all the magic. Mm. You know, so that's a big it's question, good. Ryan O'Donnell. That's a big question. Okay, so which one is gonna be better? Is it the Wendy's?
1: Welcome to Wendy's. What would
0: you like with your hot and crispy fries? Introducing Wendy's new fries. Guaranteed hot and crispy, or we'll replace them. They're even preferred almost two to one over McDonald's. Ah! Get to Wendy's and try our new hot and crispy fries for yourself. Wendy's fries. Amazing when they're hot. Never are they crispy. (laughs) They're always soggy. Um, uh, they used to be, but super salty, uh, and I love that.
1: They used to be. Uh, I gotta say, I I hate the new fries at Wendy's. I like the old ones. I miss the old mm-hmm. ones a lot. When they came out, I remember they they advertised they were using the special sea salt, and I don't know. I just love the Wendy's fries. Um, they're they're okay. I, I hate is a strong word. They're good now. They just need ketchup. If they have ketchup, it's okay. They're they're great with the burger. and Wendy's burgers are still great, but before I didn't need ketchup with them. They were just. They were just great really? on their own. But in yeah. all fairness,
0: though, you actually put ketchup on your ketchup. You do love it.
1: I do. I love. I love. I love ketchup. <laughs> I love ketchup <laughs> all right. Yes. Fries. Which is better?
0: Maybe it's McDonald's. There's nothing like the world famous taste of McDonald's crispy
3: golden French fries, especially when you can enjoy a large order of them in an extra value meal
0: with a medium ice cold Coke, starting at just two ninety nine.
3: Have you had your bread
0: Kevin says he loves fries almost as much as Hawkins cheesies that's a bold statement really like the rosemary and garlic wedges from Cavendish those are very very good if you're making them at those home. are
1: awesome the potato pancakes from McCain by the way I know those aren't fries but that is like those are amazing there is a there is a um,
0: breakfast hash brown that's uh, from McCain yeah. that's really good
1: yes they do it well but mm. talking about McDonald's fries Mm. I hesitate, you know, like I'll go somewhere and maybe it's like a nice homemade fry, Wendy's, Burger King, you name it, and they're, they're all good. But at the end of the day, there is no fry that makes me happier than fresh, hot McDonald's fries. However, as you mentioned, even if you reheat them, like in the air fryer, if if you don't eat those fries within the first twenty minutes, you have them. First bad. thing you got to eat. Those twenty minutes are just. Yep. Like, nobody comes close to that. They're just so
0: good. I would agree. I would agree that that's actually the the determining factor of the favorite is that you can get McDonald's French fries when they're fresh and hot and salty and amazing. They are the best fries. But when it comes to the cold fries that have been sitting on the rack that you're disappointed in that when you leave the drive through because they're not quite hot anymore fries, McDonald's fries are still better on the cold crappy end of the spectrum than the other fries.
1: It just it it just is. They've got that nailed down. They've had it nailed down for so long. And I would say the evidence is that how many restaurants, like fast food chains, have changed their fries in the time that McDonald's has never changed them once, other than the time they said we're using different potatoes, which mm. I was when I was still living in an Ontario, which was over ten years ago. So. Hmm. There you have it. That's my evidence.
0: Okay, so which one's the favorite for you? 877 Regardless of your pick, though, you can get free fries this week from both of them because July 13th, today, is officially Friday. Who doesn't love French fries? Well, tomorrow is National French Fry Day. But two fast food chains already have offers for you right now. You can get a free large fry this week by ordering through the McDonald's app. You you have to be part of their customer loyalty program, though. And uh, if you're not a big fan of uh, McDonald's, you can go over to Wendy's. They're doing different fry deals each day this week. Today, you can get a free medium fry, you know, with any salad. Uh, and all the ketchup you can handle for a So there
1: you go. Well, not these. That days, was from Fox 13, by one. the way. Two, two packs lately.
0: Well, you can't get the plastic packs. Everyone, you know, you want to change the world. Stop throwing plastic packs of fries in everybody's bag when most people don't even want them. Talk about plastics and all these fights about straws. You know what? You know how many straws are in my bag? One. You know how many plastic things of ketchup get thrown in my bag? Like seven. Don't even eat them. We would save more turtles. Just saying. Small sidebar. Pardon me. Um, You can head to any of the major chains' websites to find out, see how their promotions work, what you need to do, and how you can get them, because they're all a little bit different. There are some things you need to know. Some fun facts, though, Ryan, found about French fries. The town of Florenceville, Bristol, New Brunswick in Canada, headquarters of McCain Foods, calls itself the French fry capital of the world and also hosts a museum about potatoes called Potato World. Canada is also responsible for providing 22% of China's
1: French fries. I think they, they, yeah. And that's one cool thing about fries is everybody likes fries. It's not just like a North American snack. Everybody likes fries. They were invented in Belgium. Like, you know, which is funny because we call them French fries. Well, it's, it's French adjacent. It is French adjacent. They speak, I think, Belgian and French are the two. Uh, oh, there's three languages. German. There's, yeah, there's, German, there's, Belgian, and
0: French. And it's not Belgian, but uh, oh, we're gonna have to look this up now because we got to get this right. Uh, um, okay, hold um, on. the, um, but there is a there is a language that's like a slang language right in between Belgian, Belgium, yeah. and France. Okay. Flemish.
1: Uh, Flemish is. Flemish. Yes, that's right, Leo. Uh, be, oh, this is Belgian's. The Belgians' official languages are Dutch, German, and French. Which makes and sense, it's connected to all three of them. And the Flemish, yeah. Um, Flemish.
0: The most obvious difference in speaking or listening as someone speakers of Dutch and Flemish is pronunciation. To the untrained ear, the two dialects sound very different, while Flemish tends towards French pronunciation. Uh, the Dutch and Netherlands has more of an English feel, um, which um, I love Dutch, man. Guten Morgen. <laughs> so it's, it's everything they say it's fun. It is fun, yeah, and there's lots fun. of us in there too, which is cool. Yes.
1: This is the Shift Podcast.
0: We did chat with Chris at the end of last week with some terrible news out of Japan. It is time for the International Dispatch.
3: Welcome to the International Dispatch from our world citizen, live from Japan, New Zealand's Chris Gilbert.
0: So Christopher Gilbert joins us from Tokyo. He's from New Zealand. Then he went to Japan. Then he came to Canada. And then he's on a shift, and he was content producer. And then he left. And then now he's there. And here he is. Ta-da! Hi, Chris. Where will he go next? Hey, how you doing? I'm good, thank you very much. Let's get started with the hard stuff. What do you say? Because it's been um, yeah. it's been a few days, one might say, since you uh, we chatted with you last with Shinzo Abe and the assassination of that guy. Um, but uh-huh. there's actually a lot more that's kind of gone on. So what can you give us the, before we get into the fun stuff, let's talk about the hard stuff.
3: Yeah, it's been, um, uh, it's been a honky tonkin who is over here. It's been, um, has been kind of intense. Can I tell you, Shane, I haven't slept a lot. I haven't ate a lot. I haven't ate a lot. I haven't ate a lot, eaten a lot. I, ha- I haven't eaten. There you go. And, um, you know, I am fresh for this show. I think it's my first shower in a few days. I'm a oh. pretty gross, gross guy. It's been so busy um, because, uh, yeah, I mean, Abe died. And then right after he died, you know, the part of that he was still kind of, you know, proxy leader of um, won an election National, The House of Councillors, which is the upper house here in uh, Japan, they get elected every six years. Why should I care about this? I don't care about that, Chris. No, you do care about this. And I tell you why, because... Uh, the ruling bloc got two-thirds majority of the upper house. Now, they have two-thirds majority of the lower house. They have two-thirds majority of the upper house, which means they can, uh, well, put to referendum a change in Japan's constitution for the first time in 75 years, Shane, since Mm. World—well, not World War II, but since just after World War II, when Japan was still uh, an American colony in 1947— it's the first time that they have all the ability to put the constitution to a referendum. To you know, why do they want to change the constitution? Well, because Japan doesn't have an army, and it has had an army since World War Two. And a lot of people want to have an army. And when I say a lot of people, I mean the ruling party, and uh, they want to be able to, be able to go to war. And the constitution says, no, you can't have an army, Japan. You can't go to war, Japan. And the LDP, the ruling party, is like, well, boo to you. I want to. I'm gonna try and change this thing. So, long story short, the election has seen that, um, you know, the, the LDP, the ruling party, is gonna effectively at some point uh, try and pass uh, legislation to put it to a referendum that Japan can go to war and have an army again. Awesome!
0: Wow. That's so, I mean, let's be honest. The last time they had that ability, it didn't go well for many, Uh-oh. and including uh-huh. themselves. And so that was. I no, mean, I'm- it was there for. It seemed to be a just cause long ago. A lot of time has gone past. A lot of things have changed. And when you got a place like Japan that not only has the threat across the, you know, the China, South China Sea and, and all those things um, to China, there, of course, is North Korea close by who tends to fire fireworks in the general proximity. And there's some land disagreements yeah. with Russia and with everything going on in That's Ukraine, right. that must be putting an awful lot of pressure on the Japanese folks saying, hey, by the way, we should probably yeah. be ready for some stuff.
3: Well, I mean that you're correct that historically speaking, Japan plus army equals not good things. Um, all of the time. Just like like all of the time. Like Yeah, through all, all history the, really. Yep, all of the invasions, all of the war crimes, um, all of the colonies, all of the, it's not good. Like, I mean there's a lot of countries, including America, you can say that about, you know, but like just we're talking about Japan right now. Historically speaking, fan plus army equals very, very not good. Let's, you know, not have an army because, you know, it's kind of been okay for the last, you know, 75 years with Japan not having an army. But it's just, you know, like using Okinawa to house America's army. You know, that you know let's, whatever. Let's just keep doing that. Um, but I will say, Shane, that it's not very popular because Japan – um, is a very, very pacifist country in terms of its people. The people don't like war. Um, people might remember that they had two atomic bombs dropped on them um, around the same time as the Constitution was made. And uh, the Japanese people, overall, don't like war. They don't have war memorials here. They have peace museums. It's a very peace-focused country and a very peace-focused people, uh, which is kind of out of step with uh, what, the, the, what the government wants to do and the government is all very like, you know, we want to protect you against Russia and North Korea, blah, blah, blah. Um, and the people elect the LDP because
1: Japan are very, 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 very old. Like
3: most Japanese people are over 150 years old. And, you know, <laughs> and, they're, they're, and they're old and they're scared. And they want to vote for the, the, the nice, cuddly looking, round man that wants to, you know, like burn puppies and stuff because it'll keep you safe. Um, but yeah, so, but I would say the Japanese people not so into the army, the ruling party very into the army, uh, none of it's very good. Um, but there, there you go.
0: So that election happened after Abe was killed. I don't think people really understand that part.
3: Yeah. Two days, man. Two So I'm out campaigning and I did some hits in Australia, um, you know, on Australian radio, like. Yeah, uh, Chris. Yeah. So uh, was you uh, trying to become prime minister again? Like, what's he up to out there campaigning? Like, no, he's not trying to be prime minister again. He was just trying to, like, um, you know, get votes for the LDP in the upper house election. It was two days after he died that this election took place. Um, and and uh, Kishida, the current prime minister, in the meantime uh between you know on saturday the day between the election and our assassination was like we must do these elections because yeah democracy and and you know we're gonna the middle finger to violence that won't beat us because we're a democracy and it's like well no you legally have to do these elections it is illegal to not do the election so it's very nice of you to like you know ride around on your pony waving a flag You know, it's a very funny image for me, actually. I don't know why I said that, but I like it. But, like, (laughs) you have to do the election. The election had to go ahead. They did go ahead, and the LDP swept, which, of course, they were going to do.
0: Wow. So, um, yeah, the, the, the political spin is, is undeniable there without a doubt. So now yeah. just so to be clear, there is no evidence of what I'm about to say. It is simply a quite hypothetical question. Uh, this is not happening, nor did it happen as far as I know. Hypothetically, because this is what you have to say in today's world. Hypothetically, though, Chris, have, has the conspiracy theory started that his own party might have had him killed in order to, oh. um, sway the vote in their favor?
3: Absolutely inside my own head. Yes, it has started. There's, there, there, there are fireworks going off between my ears. I haven't heard it outside my head, but yeah. inside my head. Oh, that's so scary! Um,
2: oh my like. god, I,
3: I can't believe myself. Shane. Okay, get this. Okay, and and I'm not I'm not saying anything. I'm just pointing to this fact that the guy who killed Abe the di- the day before. Okay. He tried to go to Okayama. Now, Okayama is an hour and 46 minutes away. He had to change trains. It costs a hundred bucks to get out there. It takes a hundred bucks to get back. It's an hour and a half each way. He went out there the day before to try and kill him. That day, Abe was speaking in an auditorium where you had to give your name and address to enter. It was inside, and and the gunman was like, this is too hard. I'm going to turn around and go home. Ah, too hard. Name and address. Inside. The next day, in fact, that night, the night before he was killed, the LDP scheduled Abe to speak the next day, effectively outside the government's house in open air. Now, what is happening with that? Because he wasn't scheduled to speak in uh, where he was killed, Nada, until the night before. So imagine going to go see your favorite band... And you travel from I don't know Calgary to Yellowknife I don't know you travel a while to like go see your favorite band and you get there and it's sold out and you can't get in and you go home and you're real gutted about it but it's okay because the band just decided that night to have a free open air concert one train stop from your house the next yeah. day it's insane like I just the when my mind exploded that so there are no conspiracy theories that the ldp tried to have him killed the vote um i don't know what the ends would be um i do know that uh when political assassinations happen the ends uh usually trump the means they don't care what the means are as long as the ends are reached the ldp uh do have uh, two-thirds support in the house to change the constitution they do have two-thirds Support in the house to increase uh, military spending to get in line with NATO, which is what the Americans wanted them to do. Um, a lot of ends have been met. Um, is that the means? I don't know. Yeah. I'm just pointing to the weird thing that happened. you
0: just uh, you just said it right there. You just said it. Um, that's what the Americans want, and then my conspiracy head just went a whole other direction. Yeah, all,
3: right, mate, mate. I'm not the thing. Is that like I'm not? I'm not starting at a. And drawing a squiggly line all the way down to G, you know, I'm starting at A and connecting to B. What things that really happened, and being like, "Huh, that's kind of weird. Why is no one talking about the fact that the night before he, you know, like he couldn't get in, and then suddenly they schedule an open air rally, or like campaign event, one train stop from this guy's house? That seems like insanely good luck to me. Like, <laughs> well, it depends on whose bad perspective." Luck for Abe. Yeah. yeah, but like insanely good luck for if you if you are the gunman, you know, like that is a heck of a coincidence. Like I've never heard before in my life, but I'm just going to yeah. I'm putting that down step away from it. I'm going to walk backwards and uh, just I'm being a journalist, I'm just pointing and asking a question.
0: There we go. So if Chris uh, goes missing anytime soon, let's just call it for what it is. Uh, mm-hmm. listen That's back nice. to this conversation. All right. So Christopher Gilbert yeah, joins us you. here from Tokyo in Japan. I'm Shane Hewitt. It's the shift. Normally, the International Dispatch is a bunch of silly stories from around the world. So why don't we get started in a little bit of silly? Because that stuff's pretty heavy.
3: Yeah, no, I know. I actually I was wondering how you're going to do that, Shane. I was like, how the how the fluff are we going to go from, you know, um, um, you know, assassinations, attack, like, to, assassinations to, to like a, a rooster attacking a man? Yeah. Um, actually, this day in Japan, uh, because, you know, I can guarantee no one is sick of hearing about Japan at the moment. Um, penguins, snobby penguins, are refusing to eat cheap fish, hmm. snob The penguins, they're snobby. Um, an aquarium employee um, uh, has tried to get, uh, and this is in Hakone in Tokyo, uh, the, the emperor penguins in the, in the aquarium there to eat mackerel. But the penguins won't. Um, they will only eat the horse mackerel, which costs more, but the price of horse mackerel has gone up twenty to thirty percent. Um, it's called argy here, and apparently, what is happening is the query employee waves. You can see this, there's a video of this online. If you go to um, a website called Sora News 24, S O R A News 24, and look, uh, it's not far down. You find the story about the penguins, um, and you can see it, it tries, they try to put the penguin, uh, the 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 fish in the penguin's mouth, and if it, the penguin's like, no, nah, no, I haven't turned his head away. I would rather starve. Up, then eat that nasty wow. fish you're serving me. So we've got snobby penguins here.
0: Oh, uh, that's good. I just went to that sorrownews 24com and there's like a guy who looks an awful lot like you pole dancing in high heels halfway that's down the That's a Japanese
3: page. man. I, I don't look Japanese. See, um, I will look, say that. the same that, hair. Uh, um, back in my way, 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 way long, long t- time ago, in my, um, my English teaching days, Um, I used to teach at a preschool. Can you believe it? I used to find it by like two and three-year-olds. Influencing
0: the next generation. That's scary.
3: I'm a great influence. And (laughs) we had a picnic one day and the mums were there and the kids all had their bentos, you know, like the lunchbox. And one of the mums told me that the kid, uh, his name was Tsubasa, that he wouldn't eat eat normal yakiniku. He wouldn't eat normal like uh, beef pretty much he he had tasted wagyu and ever since he tasted wagyu the really really fancy kobe beef his his palate his two-year-old's palate is so refined now that he will not he's much like this penguin he can't go back once you snack you can't go back and uh, he will only he will <laughs> refuse all the kinds of meat and he'll say bring me the finest wagyu in kobe and land and so i guess um in that respect these penguins and this kid has something in common
0: wow Uh, That's The video is on YouTube, actually, Um, and literally they try to hand the penguin some fish, and the penguins just turn their nose away at it. They just won't. (laughs) They try to put it in its mouth, and it's like, nope, nope. No, thank you. My dog gets like that sometimes, too, right? With what? Well, just you go to give her treats and stuff, and then she's like, I don't like that treat. But then I always trick her, and then I don't know if you've ever seen the videos of the dogs where they won't eat the food, but then when you go and you pretend to mix stuff into the food, just pretend, then they'll eat the food because they think that you're putting a little something extra in. I oh. do that with rice. I take my leftover rice and I stir it into the dog food and she thinks it's a treat and then just eats it. So it works.
3: Back in New Zealand, my mum's golden retriever, Flynn, was the exact opposite. He was an opportunist pup. You know, you would be walking him down the street and if he throw a meat pie to the side of the road, he would like and there's like a to whiplash to the left and just grab it and hock it down really quickly. But we used to mix his pills in with the cheese, you know, like you do with animals. So he was highly suspicious of mixed food. He would always eat Christmas food. Um, we had one Christmas where we had um, cantaloupe, like rockmelon slices. as so an entree around the, the Christmas table. And we had slices and, and the cantaloupe. And we had um, prosciutto, like the meat woven mm-hmm. in, in through the slices of the cantaloupe. And this dog went around each chair, jumped up with his front paws on the, the chair delicately took one slice of prosciutto from each candle around the table. So He was very opportunist. He was not <laughs> a fussy eater unless he thought it was mixed. He would never eat a mixed food.
0: That's pretty good. I love it. Sir Christopher Gilbert, it's the International Dispatch. Where do we go to next?
3: i uh, us go to Australia because I want to see you guys' reactions to this one because it's kind of a mm-hmm. cultural story. It's very close to my heart. A sausage sizzle snag has uh, soared in price for the first time and. Bloody ages. Uh, the cost of sausage living crisis.
0: Prices... Sausage sizzle snag.
3: Yeah, sausage sizzle snag. That's right. s s s Triple S. But it's a sausage sizzle snag. So the cost of living uh, continues to crunch for most people. It's affecting penguins, and it's affecting the descendants of criminals, otherwise known as Australians. Uh, Buddings, uh, which is a hardware store. I don't know if you have Buddings in Australia. It's very, very common in, in, sorry, in Canada. It's very, very common in Australia. And uh, when I was a kid, uh, we didn't have Bunnings in New Zealand back then, but we had Smokers and we had miter 10. And these are the hardware stores. These are like the big Target or like um, uh, what Walmart-looking corrugated iron square buildings you see in, mm-hmm. in strip malls and stuff. And we used to sit up in front of them raising money for our swim team or our scouts group or whatever we wanted to raise money for. And we would do a sausage... Sn- a, I can't even say it anymore. A sausage sizzle. Do you have any idea what a sausage sizzle is?
0: Well, I just looked it up. It's it's like a it's like a, a sausage barbecue, like hot dog thing.
3: Yeah, but it's so much more than that. You have to have white bread. Any other bread, it's not a, not a not an SS. Uh, so oh, man, I'm not saying that on the air. It's not a sausage sizzle. <laughs> um, oh, good lord, <laughs> oh, that was a mistake. That was oh, no, not that was right. not, <laughs> That oh, was not what God. he meant. Oh, mate, I was <laughs> even talking about white bread too.
0: Oh God! Um, anyway, no, go so literally, meant just for anybody, literally meant white bread, just I'm for the sauce about of sizzle. White Move along.
3: bread. I don't know if I can continue this. It sounds like a fascist event now. Like you've got to have onions, and uh, and 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 we and uh, what is tomato sauce? It's a brown tomato sauce. It's kind of like ketchup, but with more sugar in it. Those are the three ingredients. Not maybe some mild American mustard, maybe, <laughs> but oh, like. Man that is a sausage sizzle and they used to cost yeah they used to cost um a buck and uh that was back in the day and then now cost three dollars fifty shane for your for your snack which is what australians call sausages and uh it's simply outrageous it's um it's the breakdown of culture as i know it and quite frankly i'm i'm ashamed of my home countries plural new zealand and australia
0: the uh, the price of the sausages and hot dogs is skyrocketing. Dun dun da! It's the International Dispatch to Christopher Gilbert. Thanks so much for being here, buddy. Really appreciate it. Oh boy. No, no.
3: it's always fun hanging out with you guys, and I'll do so again next week.
0: Yeah, thanks so much, and we appreciate the insights on the politics too. It's got to be incredibly hard for for the folks uh, of Japan to just go through that. I mean, you don't hear that stuff every day, so appreciate it, man. Thanks for no the worries. insights.